Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Well, we are just a few weeks away from Easter Sunday, and I'm telling you, there is a stirring in my spirit for what God is doing right now, as well as what uh, I believe He's going to do even on Easter Sunday morning. So as I've been preparing these messages, my heart is in a posture of gratitude, thinking about what Jesus has done for each of us. And then also as we approach Easter Sunday, there's this built-in reminder of Resurrection Sunday to know that Jesus is not dead, but He is alive. Amen? And so in anticipation of what's to come, we've added an additional service, and we're going to have three special service times on Sunday morning. So I know we've gone over this in the announcements, but it's such a change. I just don't want anybody to show up on Easter Sunday and have missed something because you showed up at the wrong times. So here's what we're going to ask you to do is make sure that you invite, and not only invite, but bring your friends to one of these three services. And for those of you who are part of our online church, you can bring your friends to the online service with you on Easter Sunday. But the service times are 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11 o'clock. 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11. What time? 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11. 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11. Which one are you going to come to? Oh, cool. You're going to come to all three. I love it, Chuck. That's a good call. So uh, anyway, I would encourage you to come to one of those three services Easter Sunday morning. Well, we've been in a series called Journey to the Cross over the past couple of weeks. The first week, we looked at the portion of Jesus's journey to the cross that led him to the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. And there he took Peter, James, and John with him to pray. We looked at the idea that the journey to the cross begins with a decision to obey. Long before Jesus was ever crucified, he had purposed in his heart that he was going to be obedient to the will of the Father. Last week, we looked at how the journey to the cross became the greatest comeback story for a disciple named Simon Peter. And if you missed last week's message, I would encourage you to listen online at crosspointwaverly.com or find us on Spotify or YouTube or any other Facebook or we're, we're everywhere you want to be. And so if we're not, then tell Pastor Madison. She'll figure out how we can get there where, where you want to be. This past week, my wife and I were watching this show called Lone Star Law. How many of you have ever watched Lone Star Law? Okay, three, four, five. So I'm going to, there's going to be a little bit of humor here, which will go over about 80% of your heads, which is normal. Like I'm used to people not laughing when I make a joke on a Sunday morning, right? So I just already know that it's going to miss the mark this morning, but some of you still might find this humorous. So uh, we're watching this show and it has, it's a show that follows Texas game wardens and uh, there's a voiceover that describes the job and it says, of hundreds of officers of the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department and part of the Texas State Police is having the toughest job in the state, protecting the state's wildlife resources, safeguarding the public safety, and occasionally putting a bad guy in jail. <laughs> now, if you've never seen that show, you do not have an appreciation for how good that impersonation was of that guy. I mean, that was spot on. And so those of you who've watched the show, you're like, wow, you've got skills. I got skills you don't even know about. 
At one point in the show, they're interviewing this, this game warden, and he's just talking to the camera, and I can't imagine how awkward that would be, to just have a camera in your face all day long as you're going about your day, and them say, say something. And you're like, well, what do you want me to say? I don't know, just say something. So I think this guy must have just thought the first thing that came to his head, and he says, my job is to make everybody happy. No. No, I don't think so. I looked at Erica and I was like, nope, that's not his job. The person who serves ice cream at Four Queens, that's their job to make everybody happy. Mickey Mouse at Disney World, his job is to make everybody happy. The game warden's job is not to make everybody happy because if you'll remember, what do they do? Their job is to protect the state's wildlife resources, safeguard the public safety, and occasionally put a bad guy in jail. Okay, I'm pretty confident the bad guy that he put in jail is not happy that he got arrested. The journey to the cross begins with the trust in the goodness and the all-sufficiency of Christ. And it's amazing how all of us can read the same book and come up with different conclusions. So there are some of you in this room today, when it comes to the subject of happiness, you would, you would think that if you read the Bible that God doesn't want you to be happy at all. There are others of you that would read the Bible and say, if you're, not, if you're not happy all the time about all things, then you're spiritually deficient. And I think with so many things, it's more nuanced than just a pithy statement. So this morning, we're going to dive into some scriptures. And by the end of this message, I think we're going to settle this tension of does God want us to be happy or not? But I'm going to let you in on a couple secrets. Number one, the only way that you're going to find true happiness and joy is through trust in Jesus. The only way that you're going to find true happiness and joy is through trust in Jesus. Secondly, God's primary focus is not to make you happy. God's primary focus is to get you to heaven. God's primary focus isn't to make you happy, it's to get you to heaven, which ultimately is going to lead to the greatest happiness and joy that anybody could ever experience. So in a, here's, let's, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for this message that I believe that you've given to me for this moment and for our church this moment. And so God, I just pray that you would open up our ears to hear and our hearts to receive what you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. It was funny, after first service, Pastor Dan came up to me and he said, have you read the chapter, have you read chapter 12 in, uh, in the book that we're studying with the men's group? And I said, no, my men's group meets on Sunday nights and so Sunday afternoons after my nap is when I read that chapter of the book. So no, I've not read it. And he's like, it just went right along with the message this week. And last week, somebody said that what y'all studied in small group and what was happening in the men's group, see, we're delayed. Some have the men's group on Friday. We have it on Sunday just going along. So here's what I'm trying to tell you is God's trying to speak to your heart this morning. Like he's orchestrated the worship this morning. He's orchestrated the behind-the-scenes Bible studies that some of you are in. And I just hope that today that you'll open up your ears and just hear what God would have for you. Last week, we began by profiling Simon Peter. This week, we're going to take a little less traditional track and talk about the high priest and the religious establishment. If you'd like to see where a lack of trust will lead you, this is a great place to start. So here, we're going to take a minute and look and see exactly what happened. Jesus came onto the scene and immediately challenged the old way of doing things. The entire religious establishment was flipped from the moment of his birth and certainly at the start of his earthly ministry. Predictably, the religious leaders found this to be a threat to the way that they had done, always done things. And so they sought to discredit Jesus along the way at various moments in his earthly ministry. 
And in the week leading up to the cross, it led to this boiling point. They found an ally with Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus, and they seized this opportunity to take Jesus into their custody, claiming blasphemy. They took it a step further, and they led the crowd to demand his crucifixion. They didn't trust Jesus' motives because they've interfered with their own. That'll preach right there. They didn't trust Jesus' motives because they interfered with their own. His ways were threatening and uncomfortable, and it turned their routines and customs on their head. So what does it look like in our lives? How often do we not trust Jesus' motives in our lives? We quickly doubt his goodness or his purposes for us when life grows difficult. We don't trust his plans and motives either because they scare us or because they don't line up with our plans that we have or what we would like to have. The religious leaders in Jesus' day were used to being able to call the shots. They have positions of honor. And Jesus came as a suffering servant saying that those who are the least of you will become the greatest. And that de- they definitely didn't like that. It didn't sound like something that they could get behind. But how about you? What do you think about the difficult subjects that Jesus talks about? Are you open to his way? Are you hoping that he'll rubber stamp yours? How deep is your trust when he's saying something that doesn't make sense? The religious leaders didn't trust that Jesus was who he said he was. Otherwise, they wouldn't have crucified him. They wouldn't have incited the crowd to turn against him. And I don't think they sat in the temple and said, hey, let's kill the son of God. I think this is a great idea. Clearly, they didn't recognize who he was. They missed it. And how often do we miss it? We're so trained to evaluate things through this worldly system that we miss when God wants to do something supernatural. We look at the outward appearance and God looks at the heart. There's this moment found in the Old Testament, in fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, where there's a new king to be crowned. And Samuel comes to this man named Jesse's house who has a number of sons, one of which is David, which you're familiar with the story of David and Goliath. And Samuel comes to Jesse's house and and Jesse lines up all of his boys except for David and just knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that one of the strongest, one of the oldest is going to be selected to be the next king, to be anointed. Samuel looks at this lineup of these young men And says, do you have any more sons? And the dad thinks, I've already brought you the brightest and the best. But if you're looking for the leftover son, he's out in the field working as a shepherd right now. And Samuel says, go and get him. And it was David that was brought in. And we know the story and how it ends that David was anointed king that day. That God looked not on the outward appearance as man does, but instead he looked at the heart. And how often do we miss it when we're looking at what we would... uh, try to think of perfect people or perfect opportunities and miss out on the reality that maybe God's wanting to do something supernatural, right? The religious leaders missed it. They had to have convinced themselves that Jesus wasn't God's son. And we can justify all sorts of things if we try hard enough. And that should be a sobering reality and a real plug for us to read the Bible and know what it says and live by it rather than just to trust what we feel. Their lack of trust and belief led to one of the darkest moments in history, but of course we know that they didn't get the final end. They didn't have the last say. Ultimately, they were trusting in themselves. They built a system where they felt like they could manage God and manage people, and Jesus was a threat to all of that. The journey to the cross begins with the trust and the goodness and all sufficiency of Christ. 
And if we start from a posture of trusting our feelings, then we're going to get it wrong. So many people trust their feelings over everything else, and there's this cultural line that's so famous that people like to live by that says, if it feels good, that's horrible advice. That's horrible advice. For those of you who didn't hear it, if it feels good, do it. That's, that's horrible advice. Our feelings are fickle, and they sway in the wind like reeds. And the devil is a liar. And sin may feel good in the moment, but when it's done, new feelings and emotions arise. So watch this. For those of you who are students, when you cheat on your homework assignment, which expedites the process so that then you can spend more time playing video games or hanging out with your friends or whatever you want to do, there's this feeling of excitement. I got it done, and I got to do what I wanted to do. But then after that might be this moment where this still small voice inside of you or the Holy Spirit convicts you for what you just did. And some of you are like, nope, never, that's not me. I never feel guilty for cheating on homework or cheating on tests. If it wasn't so easy, you know, whatever. So you justify it some other kind of way. But so let me make it applicable to you then. You cheated on the test. You cheated on the assignment, and you thought you got away with it, and you feel great. And then you get called to the dean's office or the principal's office or the teacher says, hey, we need to talk after class, and she or he says to you, your homework looks exactly like someone else's homework. Can you explain that? Nope, can't explain it. Great minds think alike, I guess, is the only explanation. Right? Your feelings change when you get caught, and now you get a zero for that assignment. Your feelings tell you to eat an entire bag of chips or a package of Oreos or a gallon of ice cream. And the next day when you step on the scale, your feelings have changed. Your feelings tell you that you're not fulfilled in the way that you thought you should be in the marriage bed and that someone else or something else will make you happy, but after being unfaithful to your marriage vows and seeing the hurt, that you've caused your spouse and your kids, your feelings change. Your feelings tell you to have another drink, to take another puff or pop another pill, that it'll make you happy, and later after you've done it, it only leaves you feeling empty. The journey to the cross begins with the trust and the goodness and the all-sufficiency of Christ. God's outlined the best way for us to live in the Bible, and his way is the best way, bar none. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start reading in verse number 12, Matthew chapter 7, verse number 12. It'll also be on the screen. Here's what it says. So whatever you wish the others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. In verse number 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is a verse that even in our public schools, teachers are still able and willing to teach. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And can I just tell you that these are great words for three-year-olds and for 103-year-olds and everybody in between. These are great words to live by. There are a couple of scriptures that really influence how I make decisions. 
And for those of you who have been around me for more than five minutes know that I am not perfect. I am far from it. In first service, somebody started laughing. Apparently, they've spent way too much time with me. But there are a couple of scriptures that, that really I try to apply to life situations, and one is Matthew chapter 7. So is this something that I would want somebody doing to me? The next one is found in Galatians chapter 6, verse number 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. That one will scare you. Whatever one sows, he'll also reap. We reap the things that we sow. And I want to sow good things because I want to reap good things. When we sow anger, we reap anger. When we sow love, we reap love. When we sow negativity, we reap negativity. When we sow life, we reap life. When we sow hatred, we reap hatred. When we sow forgiveness, we reap forgiveness. When we sow sparingly, we reap sparingly. When we sow generously, we reap generously. For those of you who are like, there's so much negativity in my life. Everybody around me is so negative. I just wonder if it's a reaction to what you've sown. Have you sown negativity? And so then for them, they feel like this is the time to come around you. I just want to encourage you, be careful what you're sowing, because what you sow, you'll reap. And on this journey, as we trust in the goodness and the all-sufficiency of Christ, it leads to a better way. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 13, continues by saying, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus instructs us that his way is the narrow way and that few find it, but that the, the path to destruction is wide. There are some people who subscribe to universalism. They believe that all roads lead to heaven, so atheists, agnostic, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, Humanist, New Age, Universalist would say that all of those roads lead to heaven. And here's what I just want to say to all of us this morning. Let's not trust in the words of universalism. Let's trust in the word of God. Okay? And let's trust what Jesus says. And Jesus in John chapter 14 verse number 6 said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If there are words that are trustworthy, they are the words of Jesus. And we can lean in on those this morning and we can trust him. And so while it may lead to temporal comfort at a funeral of a loved one to say something like they're in a better place, Jesus says that if they weren't followers of him, that they didn't go to a better place. Jesus' way is a narrow path through Christ alone. Those who choose the wide path choose a path of eternal destruction. When we trust in the goodness and all sufficiency of Christ, it leads to happiness. There are moments in life that we face disappointments. How many of you have ever faced disappointments? Okay, great. I'm at least hitting the target on this one. You don't watch Lone Star Law or, you know, whatever, but you face disappointments. Here we go. We face disappointment because things didn't turn out the way that we wanted them to. Sometimes we're disappointed with ourselves. Sometimes we're disappointed with God. There's this song that is called King of My Heart, and honestly, I like the song. And in a private worship service, I enjoy singing the song. I enjoy worshiping to the song, listening to the song. But there's this one line in the song that I don't like, and it's the bridge. And this is what the bridge says. Now, when I say I don't like it, I don't like it for a corporate setting. In a private setting, I think it's just fine. But in the, in the song, it says, you're never going to let, and then it says, you're never going to let me down. And then it just keeps repeating that over and over again. You're never going to let, you're never going to let me down. And here's the deal, is 
as I wrestle with this, there are ways that you could go, yes, biblically, that's accurately, I mean, that's accurate, but experientially, it can really lead to some hurt feelings. And so let's look at biblically what, uh, what the Bible says about this. Romans chapter 5, verse number 3, the eternal hope that God gives us does not disappoint us. Right, The eternal hope that God has is never going to let us down. And so Paul writes it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse number 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And watch this. Hope does not put us to shame. Another version would say, and hope does not disappoint. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hope does not put us to shame. It does not disappoint because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. Secondly, God always fulfills his promises. God always fulfills his promises. Second Peter chapter 3 Verse number nine says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so here's the problem that I have with the the bridge of the song is that we do feel let down by God. Not in the eternal sense or with unfulfilled promises, but we're disappointed or experienced being let down by God uh, because of our immediate fleshly, often impatient requests to God that go unanswered and unfulfilled. And so one of the reasons why we don't sing this song, and I'm not preaching about songs this morning. I'm not one of those people. I'm just talking about the reality. Even in the song that we sang, the third song that we said, it said, uh, you've never failed me yet, right? And it's true. And God's never going to fail us. But I think it's important as we consider songs that we sing in a corporate setting that there might be people whose feelings aren't lining up with the songs. So with you're never going to let me down, it's an anthem, right? And if 100% of you came in here this morning and you're like, oh, God's amazing. He's never let me down. And we sing that song. Yeah, you've got your fist up in the air, right? You're worshiping with all of your heart. But there may be 20% of the people who show up on a Sunday morning that that's not what they've experienced, right? They've experienced loss when they walked in. Their spouse walked out on them unexpectedly. They lost their job. They lost their kid. There's some kind of loss that they've experienced. And now they walk in based off of their feelings. And there's a song that says, you're never going to let me down. Right? God doesn't let us down because of something wrong that he's done. We feel let down by God because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He sees the end from the beginning, and he knows all things. And unfortunately for us, we just see this moment. And so there are times when if we're just trusting our feelings, then we'll forget that God's faithful and he's all-sufficient. We don't see the full picture as parents, we're, able, we're not able to predict the future of our kids, right? But all of us have been where they are, and we can foresee their next few steps, right? We know that some of the decisions that they make, the actions that they take, or the inaction will have consequences or rewards. But we can't predict their future. But God is so much greater than an earthly parent. He wants good things for you even more than you want good things for you. That's the entire theme of the Bible. God's default is goodness and blessing. But we sin and we mess it up and he brings correction. 
but ultimately it's to restore again and to bring blessing. I don't know about you, but that sounds like someone who's worth my trust. He's not like an earthly parent that can only see a few steps ahead. He knows the end from the beginning. And I think we say that sometimes without taking the time to really grasp it, he knows what will unfold in this year of your life. He knows what will unfold next year in your life up into our final breath. And then he knows what's coming after that. And so we end this morning where we begin, does God want us to be happy? Can I tell you that a life lived trusting in his goodness and all sufficiency will lead to happiness in this life and the next. His ways are better than our ways. Walking in obedience to him is the best. It doesn't mean that everything's gonna be perfect for you or easy. It just means that as we walk in obedience to God, as we live in accordance to his word, that we will lead a more fulfilled life. It will spare us a lot of hurt and pain. Another thing when we trust in the goodness and the all-sufficiency of Christ, when we face hiccups in life rather than our default going to God doesn't love me, God hates me, he's forgotten about me, I'm gonna leave the church, I'm gonna quit following after Jesus, rather than going to that default. We go back to what we know is true, not our feelings, but what we know is true. God is good, God is faithful, he's not gonna let us down. He's not going to fail us. And so when we face those hiccups, we reframe it and we recognize that God's good. And while I can't see what he sees, I can trust in his goodness that he's gonna get me through. I can trust that he's going to, to complete the process that he started in me. And one day when we leave this place, we will experience the presence of Jesus for eternity. And so the joy and the happiness we will experience will be unmatched by anything that we've experienced on this earth. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room? Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never put your trust completely in him. And you say, today I want to enter into a relationship with him. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with him, but for whatever reason, you've turned your back on him. And you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. In just a moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if that's you, I'm gonna ask that you would repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. And this morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, and with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.